Blurred up, blurred up. Welcome to the show where we talk about nerd culture from a BPOV, a black POV. I am your host, Brendan, along with my friends, Doc Hurt. Hello. Mel. Hello. And coming back from episode two, Sky. Hey, good to be back. How's it going? Doubt. And today, we're going to talk about one of the greatest comedies of all time. Definitely, to me, the greatest black comedy of all time. You all are free to disagree if you wish. Coming to America. Yes. I, yeah, I kind of agree, but then there's Beverly Hills Cop. Ooh. Oh, good point. I mean, maybe the <laughs> best mainstream black comedy of all time, but Hollywood Shuffle exists, so oh, that's I don't true. know. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Winky dinky dog. Exactly. We some, we I got your game. I was talking to some people. They said Harlem Nights was up there. I yeah. never uh, thought, nah. I mean... I don't know, maybe. <laughs> and also Friday. Ooh. I mean, that's, yeah, but it's in terms of pure, like, comedy, comedy. Beverly Hills Cop, I think, has it. Okay. <laughs> but, okay. Either way, Eddie Murphy wins. Eddie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, Coming to America <laughs> turns 30 years old this Friday. Wow. Right? I want to go through some information and some numbers. This movie was directed by John Landis. Mm. Does that ring a bell to anyone? Yes. Oh, yeah. Thriller. Yes. And uh, Trading Places. Yes. yes. Yep. Which is connected to this movie. Yep. There's the uh, extended universe. Sure. <laughs> so to speak, yeah. The Mortimer. The, <laughs> the ECU. Yes. Perhaps, yeah. So John Landis directed, yes, he directed Thriller. He right. also directed Blues Brothers. My father's favorite. He's like, AB, that's a movie. Apparently. (laughs) American Werewolf in London. He also directed another Michael Jackson video, Black or White. Black or White. Oh, did he? I didn't know that. He also directed Animal House. Yeah. Yeah, that's Mm -hmm. true. Okay. Yeah. Can anyone guess the budget for this movie? Ooh, I'm probably, if if I'm going to go. One million (laughs) dollars. A little more than that. A little more than that. I'd probably say, uh, if we're talking about that time frame, I would say maybe 15 mil. Yeah. I mean, it looks really expensive. When I was rewatching it, I thought to myself, it looks really expensive. They've got all the live animals and stuff. Yeah. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, 15, 20 mil. So I'd have to up it to $100 million. <laughs> yeah. I don't think anyone was giving black folks that kind not, of money. Not that, not <laughs> kind, not that kind of bank. Now. That was pre-Black Panther. The budget was $39 million. Get out of here. Adjusted for today, that would be about $88 million. Can anyone guess the box office? Ooh. That must have been good. I mean... It was pretty good. That movie had staying power, and, and, you know, it's still a a cultural icon to this day. Yes. So keep in mind, tickets were probably cheaper at that time. Yeah. Not probably, okay. they were definitely cheaper at okay. the time. So, and we'll go f- go from the box office to adjust it today. So, okay. think about those times. Can I can we ask for a hint? Did it recoup its costs or not? Definitely. Okay, okay. Good. Box office take. Uh, you know what? I'm going to say total box office take, not counting, you know, uh VHS at that right, time DVDs and laser disc. Sure. <laughs> um I would probably Betamax. say it's probably right around uh 130 130 mil? Oh, you know. Oh, I, yeah. That's that's a big estimate. I was going to say like 50 or 60, but you said 130, and that's a lot more. <laughs> I feel total like, box yeah. office, 
for coming to America was two hundred and fifty-eight million dollars. Shut the Whoa. front door. Oh, actually, you know wow. what though? Because it was big in Japan too, wasn't it? And that's probably part of it. it like was. it's international box it office. Was. It was huge in Japan. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> so adjusted, that would be about five hundred and eighty million dollars. Wow. It's pretty wow. good for a comedy. Yeah. Right? Huge. That especially That's insane. Yeah, for a black comedy. For a black comedy cost. in 1988. Right. Literally. Yeah. So this was Eddie Murphy in his prime, the height of his powers. Yeah. I just want to go through the plot and you all, you can go with me on that and your favorite quotes and scenes. I want to start off in the beginning of this movie, The Castle. <laughs> <laughs> and Zamunda. It was such a fake castle. Yeah. It was. Oh, you mean the... Uh... The matte painting? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I mean, just looking at it, I'm like, wow. I mean. But tell me you didn't want to live there the first yeah. time you saw it. Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was fake, but it was also like gorgeous. As a kid, I didn't think about it. Right, right. exactly. Right. Right. I mean, Coming to America was one of those movies I watched. Whenever you just flip through the channels and you just see it on, you just it stop was, and you watch it. It was mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. early days of cable. It was on HBO. Like, all the time. Comedy all Central. The time. Yeah. All yeah. the time. But yeah, that castle was... Outside was ridiculous, but inside was amazing. I was talking to Doc Hurd earlier about it. You know, before there was Wakanda, there was Zamunda. Zamunda. I have never seen, there are only two films I have seen that showcase black royalty on that level, and it's Wakanda and Zamunda. And the pageantry, you know. Yes. That was, that was right. really, when you talk about that, the, the pageant, pageantry, right? Like the, all the choreographed scenes. Yes. And it was around the time, what was it? What was it? There was really big cross colors, right? And everybody was uh, wanting, everybody wanted to buy a dashiki. Right. right. Yeah, right? yeah. Everybody was wearing the African pride medallions. I remember that. Yes. Yeah, everybody I had was one. referencing. I had the, yeah. uh, I had the red, black, and green Africa pendant. Yeah. Right. It's interesting that it was Black time. Panther right. came out on the 30th anniversary year of Coming to America. That's a very good point. Yeah. But nobody's put it in a music video yet. Because, you know, the first scene of the trailer, the first thing I thought was Buster Rhymes. Like, oh, I forgot that he oh, made the video. That right. was that whole yes. theme. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. connection. That yeah. is absolutely true. Oh, I also want to bring up, remember when, when the hype was surrounding Black Panther, they were the memes of how you're going to come out to watch the film. And they had <laughs> screenshots of the royal wedding. Yeah. So just another connection. Another thing I found ridiculous, apparently in this movie, Prince Akim, the star of this film, is 21 years old. Hmm. Now, looking at Eddie Murphy in this movie, there is no (laughs) way he is 21. Yeah. How old was he actually, though? Probably in his 30s. He was in his very, very early 30s. Yeah. This is is when, remember now, now for people to make the connection now, for some of you youngins out there that are... You know, right there in that gap, that that gap generation. If you guys take a look at uh, uh, at Charlie Murphy's True Hollywood Stories, <laughs> yeah. this is like right there when he was wilding Charlie out, Murphy. right when when he was really when we well he was hanging out with with Rick James around yeah. that time. This is when he was you know wearing the this is raw Eddie Murphy, right? This is the oh, leather okay. suits. Yeah. Right. So, what does dumb fuck mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was the, that comedy. You saw that comedy and that edginess, right? That yes. edginess really mm-hmm. kind of come through. But then again, readjusted to really like it, probably the, the blackest film that there had been since in the heat of the night. I guess you know. Uh, well, and, like I, I, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, to speak to these theoretical youngins. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, the thing that this film reminds me of looking at it now is the fact that blackness was so constrained. Mm. Like you, there was one way to be black and everybody participated in that. Mm. I mean, even 
Eddie Murphy helped kind of define it. And sure. the scene in the film that I remember the most was uh, when he had his, what do you call that, stick? Uh, the stick fighting, yeah. yeah, the mm-hmm. oh, martial yeah. Arts. yeah. Black people didn't do martial arts. Asian people did martial arts. Right. And you have to remember, that's when, uh, when uh, not too long after this film came out, Passenger 57 with Wesley Snipes <laughs> came out and he was doing clearly Asian martial arts in his right. action scenes and I was like whoa what's going on does not compute but he kind of but that was a time when that was a thing that black people didn't do yeah that's there a really was, good point that, that is a good point but there was like precedent for that too because I mean Black Belt Jones and all those films like that mm-hmm. came out like the, the kind of the black there was like a clear Asian martial arts presence in black in like black exploitation films, right? Absolutely. Funny, right? Yeah, exactly. It was it was more humorously taken. Yeah, it was very like, yeah, campy. Exactly. Very right. campy. Very yeah. campy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it wasn't like that was the first time people had seen it. But maybe it was the first time people took it more seriously. Like, yeah. oh, this is cool. This yeah. isn't goofy. Well, I would argue for him. I I was going to make that point too. Mm-hmm. But I think for for this film, these are martial arts that are rooted in Africa, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, right. these black exploitation films, they were doing karate or mm-hmm. kung fu. Mm-hmm. It was obviously, these are black people doing Asian martial arts, yeah. whereas this film was like, this is our our style, right? So I want to move on to James Old Jones. Yeah. Of course. Simba. Yes. And I there's a quote that he said, I'm not just the master of all I survey. And I, that's, in the Lion King, yeah, his talk with Simba when he said, "You know, everything are, the light touches, yes, is your domain." That was a good right? touch. Mm-hmm. Also interesting that he was wearing the lion sash <laughs> yeah, at definitely. the end of the film. Lion mm-hmm. King, right, right. Yes, mm-hmm. I just loved how. I mean, James Earl Jones, his voice is just—it's legendary. It's iconic, right? Mm-hmm. Iconic. Hearing him act so regal, but then also be so funny. Yeah. Yes, they're was, really grounded performances, aren't they? Yes. I loved his quote about tying the shoes, right? He was, <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was so deadpan. I tied my shoe once. It was an overrated experience. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, it's so specific when, you know, the way it came out. I mean, basically, if you're watching the movie yeah. at the time, you're thinking, oh, he's a king. It is also Darth Vader is talking about tying the shoes. Right. Mm-hmm. That's kind of yeah. the zing on that humor absolutely and it's, it's really interesting to see because i mean again you know james earl jones is in the pantheon of black excellence right absolutely um he's untouchable and when you talk about his performances everything that he always brings to the screen he always you can always see his classical train that comes through it right and that's something that i thought that was really iconic about his performance in this even though that he was a, a supporting character that you can see that it's really looking at you know his acting chops and how he can bring deadpan humor into it. There's not a lot of actors that can do that well, yeah. to be honest with you, and from what I've seen, you know, and that transcends sure. color lines. Mm-hmm. So I think that's really you know this film has so much of that that transcends over, and that's what makes it such a, a, an amazing comedy. Absolutely, definitely, yeah. The great part where what's his name? Oha, Boha. She's your queen to be. <laughs> that always murders me, slays me, because it's just yeah. so unexpected. Because he, he's playing it so seriously. He, he finishes the, his little soliloquy, and uh, I want to get into that clip mm-hmm. actually right now. I have a clip for it, okay. so we're gonna rewatch this real quick. And there's something I want to talk about after that. She's your 
And then he finishes and manages not to break. I mean, (laughs) that may be the greatest performance because who could keep a straight face after <laughs> how many doing takes that? did he have to do that's right. my question right. it must have been about 300 because oh my gosh. i wouldn't have been able to get through that in the first day of filming because this just it's like we'll throw a level of <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it really is what has that actor been in besides this though like i've never seen him before or since I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. I don't have to go mm-hmm. look that one up. Yeah, yeah. That's imdb Yeah. Yeah. So something I wanted to get into with that clip, if you noticed in the lyrics, <laughs> in the wake of Me Too and where we are uh, in 2018, yeah. those kind of things could not fly. Yeah, it'd be hard to. It'd be this hard to pass true. it off. That wouldn't fly. Right? We had to be used at your, your discretion, discretion. Mm-hmm. your discretion mm-hmm. uh what was the other one uh Fuck like a dog. used as mm-hmm. you as you desire i mean that was just a joke yeah. but mm-hmm. to be used yeah. Yeah, yeah. as you desire yeah. yeah there's a lot of references to just kind of using women as sex objects in yeah. the film but rewatching it now as an adult as a kid they went straight under Over the radar but like watching it rewatching it now as an adult i do kind of think well for the times, it was actually being pretty progressive because the whole point is that Akeem doesn't want that. That's yeah. right. So for the times, it was maybe a little bit ahead of the curve, but you're right now, you couldn't do that at all. <laughs> well, it's also interesting <laughs> that the mother, even though she was mm-hmm. married to King Joffrey that mm-hmm. way, yeah. she mm-hmm. also clearly either... has her own agency in the Yes, mm-hmm. very much right? so, yeah. Mm-hmm. put a sock in it, Joffrey. Yeah, <laughs> so I mean, none of the major female speaking parts are that kind of like submissive sort of stereotype that they're trying to to marry Akeem off to. But then you do also have the half naked bathing girls and bark like (laughs) a dog and you know. Mm. So it is it's kind of a strange sort of mix, isn't it? It's trying really hard to be progressive. And maybe at the time people really thought Well, I mean you you, Mm -hmm. you even have a plot where you've got like these two male, you know, alpha dogs fighting Mm -hmm. over the meat, as it were. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh but even in that mix, you know, she clearly makes a choice and rejects the one and goes to the other. Right. Mm-hmm. And, the one uh, who forced himself on. Yeah. The one who is <laughs> clearly the me tooable guy. Right. Yeah, back. yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of a mess, but a well intentioned one. I don't know what that counts for though. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the barbershop. Yeah. And Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall's multiple yeah. uh, characters in this film. Eddie Murphy's character kept talking about how he knew all these famous people from Frank Sinatra to Joe Lu- uh, no, just Frank Sinatra and Martin Luther King. Yeah. My favorite was Martin Luther King's story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Could you make my hair look like this? Oh, man, what you want to make your hair look like that for? Well, I like the way wear hair. Wear natural. That's good, man. You know, I went to more of the young children today would wear their hair natural like Dr. Martin Luther King did. That's right. You ain't never seen Dr. Martin Luther King with no Mr. Jericho on his head. Ain't that right? Amen. Dr. King ain't come walk around like that. You know, sweet, I met Dr. Yeah. 
<laughs> so ludicrous. Oh, it's so mm-hmm. ridiculous. Like yeah, that's a um, classic joke mm-hmm. right there. Yeah. Oh, classic. Like the humor is so good. Like the timing is perfect. And there's so many like little things that like it it's really rewatchable because you always pick up a yeah. new joke every time you Absolutely. watch. And the thing is is that, you know, including and it, it, again I'm I'm an adopted Southerner, and you know, no matter where you go in the United States, in particular, when it comes to what is the center of uh, you know black masculinity, it was always the barbershop, right? Yeah. Because you literally go there, and I remember the first time I went into a barbershop, you know, and me being you know fresh off the boat from living overseas, and going to get a haircut. I have you know silky textured hair, so I go in, and it was just funny because everybody embrace you with open arms as a kid right and you have that guy there's the, always that one guy who's never there to get his hair cut and he's always there and he's the he basically the 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 gossip post sure and he has dirt on everybody and he tells everybody everybody else's business mm-hmm. and it's really iconic because this is really you know that's always the center of you know the small neighborhood community for black men and it still is to, to an extent this mm-hmm. day. I don't really know if it has as much, you know, emphasis, I'd say, on, on whether the, that uh, black masculinity is shaped uh, from a young age anymore, like, as, you know, in the digital age. But that really was what it was like. You know? Definitely. I was going to say, you said you had silky textured hair. Did they ask if you had an ultra perm? Oh man, they they ask me all kinds of questions, and and it and it's really like, funny. Yeah, I look at my, I have no idea what that is, right? Um, and again, this was at the time where Eddie Murphy was in his prime. This is around the time this movie came out, The mm-hmm. Golden Child, and everyone called me the. That Golden is a Child. much much forgotten movie, yeah. right? The Golden Child was my nickname every time uh, I went to that. Every time I went to that that, that barbershop, because again, you know me being of, of mixed ancestry, mm. and nobody gets this reference when I do it. I think you guys will. Do 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 you have the knife? <laughs> I want the knife. I want the knife. Oh my gosh! <laughs> and again, you know that 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 was that was at the height of of you know at his prime when all of his movies were coming out back to back to back, and he was bankable. Mm. And every single movie that he had would have something like that in there that was always rewatchable. Uh, Eddie Murphy staple kind of moment. Yeah. yeah, I want to do one more clip of. Arsenio Hall's character as the preacher. Also one of my favorite scenes in this film. But also something that I'm not sure we could do these days, but Mm. I want to hear y'all's opinion about that. Can I say while you're queuing that up? I used to think Arsenio Hall was so handsome in this movie. And everybody used to make fun of me for it. Because everybody liked liked Eddie Murphy. (laughs) But his fingers are long as hell. I'm looking at his fingers. (laughs) (laughs) We learned some about Sky today. (laughs) I'm just saying, like... That, that was the joke. His fingers were like, he always had that one finger, and they were talking about how big his fingers were. And when I would watch the show, I'd be looking at his hands. So I'm saying, I'm saying he used well, his hands a lot. He, is, he had the fist. Yeah, ooh, he ooh, was ooh, like, ooh. did have that pump thing. Okay, wow. Next, I'm going to be looking at Arsenio's fingers Look every time fingers. I watch this film from you now will. on. <laughs> All right. So let's take this clip out of Arsenio Hall as the preacher man. Look at his fingers. Oh, my God.
You know, I, I I will say again, and it, this always comes back to me living in the southeastern United States and being, first of all, a brown kid, and then also being a Muslim living in you know North Alabama. Uh-huh. Um, you're surrounded by churches, and everybody talks about the first thing they ask you is what what church you go to, right? And you do have these characters, and I didn't realize it till I got a little bit older, um, how much sex i guess yes. so to speak yeah how mm-hmm. much sexual tension or or sexual drama and trauma emanates from these churches very much so um, church yeah and, and it's really i i again at that time when you saw it you know being being a, a teenager it was just funny right because you just see the caricature Thinking about it again, and again, after all that you've seen with the Me Too movement, everything that's coming out about the Catholic, all, Church. The Catholic Church with the different authorities, both ecclesiastical and, mm-hmm. and public figures, this right here, it's so, it's really a social commentary without being in your face about yeah, it. Yeah, it's not too heavy handed. It's very funny. But anybody who's ever been to a church yeah. <laughs> can relate to that, really. Sure. Or been ar- surrounded by a church, like you said you were. I would say I mean, at least, uh, yeah. A Baptist church. Well, no, not even necessarily Baptist churches, because like you said, the whole Catholic thing and like any church with very with a very charismatic leader, I think, is is prone to that kind of pitfall. Mm. Churches are just very highly hypersexualized places in a really subtle kind of way. So, yeah, very repressed way. That's a very good way to put it. It's like Mm -hmm. a really easy way if you're if you are a man in authority and you have that power. It's a really easy way to get away with a lot because exactly. you clearly have the power, but you're not doing anything. And you have the social role of being clean. Mm. So it's an assumption that you only have to be caught violating. Mm. Exactly. And I mean, if you think about all of the numerous sex scandals coming out of churches, and if you, there is a whole hashtag, me too, speaking of Me Too since you brought it up, Me Too in the church, yeah. that is like traumatic to go through and to read. So that's really funny because it is so <laughs> on point. But, you know, Hugh Hefner on high. I mean, there's a lot of women, I think, who are conditioned to think of God that way just because they've been in church all their life, yeah. which is awful, but true. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, but I think the saddest thing is that that's still so accurate, isn't it? It is. Like, it's been 30 years, and that is still right there on point, isn't it? I've never had, I mean, my church was very old. Not in the sense mm. of it's, it was there for a long time, but all of our... The congregation. Our, the congregation was old, so... I never really ever got those feelings from no my vibes. church. Yeah. Ever. But no I'm sure vibes. that, yeah, exactly. I'm sure that behind your back, you just didn't notice it. I, Old honestly, people get down differently. Okay. okay. <laughs> hey, man, you looking real good today in that uh, usher's uniform. Yeah, you got a new wig, girl. <laughs> I see you got your wig split, babe. More like, more like a new hip. Oh, I want to, I want to go into, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His first acting role. Yeah. yeah. And the funny thing is, before he became Samuel L. Jackson, I still remembered that character. Yeah. I mean, mm. and yeah. then the, the other thing to forget is in uh, in McDowell's is uh, the comedian. He was big. Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Who 
had a moment of. I mean, he kind of made mm-hmm. it wasn't a huge thing, but he had he, his moment he, he, had, he had a little, a little role mm-hmm. to play there. Absolutely. There are so many little cameos like that yeah. in this film, though. The guy who recognizes Akeem in the line for the restroom mm-hmm. at the baseball stadium. Yeah, he's like a huge stage. He was the he was in the original cast of Dreamgirls, and he's oh, wow. been in a lot of TV stuff too. But I don't really know him from that. Cause, yeah. no, but I've seen him yeah. lately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's been where. in a lot of other stuff. Yeah, Garcelle Beauvais is one of the the oh, bathing yes. girls. Oh yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember her from the Jimmy Fox show. See? She, was, she was bad. <laughs> Mercy. Bad. All right. Yeah, just y'all watch her fingers when, when she comes out. When I see her, <laughs> when I see her, I know it's a god. You oh make me somewhere. moist. Yeah, you make me moist. Yeah, okay, see, this is where this whole Hugh Hefner on high thing comes in, gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not get in trouble. Let's go to Samuel Jackson. Yeah, move along, move along. Move along, move along. <laughs> Let me see here. That's so Sam Jackson right there. Come on! <laughs> Look at him. <laughs> the corner. Anybody move out, blow your fucking head off. There it is. What are you looking yeah. at, buddy? Ezekiel, 25. <laughs> Just even then, such a... Did those eyes. <laughs> he, he had this tiny... I mean, in the yeah. script, it was probably... Black guy with shotgun, right? Yeah, and he killed it. Killed it. And it you remember him? Yeah. And yeah. this was this was this was his trademark. You know, from mm-hmm. there on out, this was the 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 bad motherfucker. Like, yeah. right? This is where he established that was his thing. Yeah. And it again, it solidified who he is to this day. The next role I saw him in was uh, the what's the uh, John Clancy the what when. <sighs> Oh, Harrison yeah. Ford was in there, and I was oh, like, "That's uh, the dude from Coming Into America." Right? Oh, did Do the Right Thing come out after this or before after. this? After. Oh, okay. Okay. Do the Right Thing was mm-hmm. right was after this. Okay. My first time seeing Samuel L. was Jurassic Park. Hold on, Hold on to your, your butts. butts. Exactly. Oh yeah. gosh, yeah. We referenced that in the last podcast. Yes. Could not believe they didn't mm-hmm. bring that back. Which turns twenty five this year. Yeah, that's right. My dad looks exactly like Samuel L. Jackson. Are you serious? Yeah, exactly. So when I showed a picture of him to my students here, they were all like, "Oh, teacher, your father is Nick Fury." I'm like, um, <laughs> "I'll tell him that. He'll enjoy it." <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I've been called every black person mm-hmm. in. I've been Obama. I've been Black Panther. I've been Will Smith. I've been. Uh, Parchi Song's friend. Oh gosh! Oh, <laughs> oh, my favorite nickname was Iron Man's friend teacher. Iron Man's wow. friend. <laughs> <laughs> I've been here wow. long enough, and you know what I look like. So <clears throat> I've been here long enough. I was in what came in '94. My science teacher sat across from me in the teacher's room, said that I looked like Denzel Washington. Wow. So that's a long time. That's a long time ago. Wow. I don't know in how you were back in those of... days, bro. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Uh, yeah, not, not, not. <laughs> you could have been, been rocking. It's bro. a stretch. <laughs> not not a long stretch. I'm just I'm helping you out here, sir. Not not a big stretch. <laughs> Speaking of stretches, I want to talk about Lisa, the daughter. Mm. So uh, we look at John Amos, the father, mm-hmm. yeah. and his dark skinned daughter. And we look at Lisa, who's extremely light skinned. Very fair yeah. skinned. Yep. Yeah. They never showed the mom's mm-hmm. picture because apparently she passed away. Mm-hmm. Right before the timeline of this movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. How'd you all feel about that? Because watching it again, I felt really like, this yeah. is, this is yeah, yeah, weird. Yeah. That is something that I picked up on even as a kid. 
was like, why is the dark skin one a hoe? Yeah, no, <laughs> like well, I picked up on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That I picked up on that even as a kid. Like, mm. wait a minute. Yeah, I, I just I would say mm-hmm. in the words of urban philosopher mm-hmm. Andre Three Thousand. She just knows what she wants out of life. This is true. I'm I'm saying that like that's how I, <laughs> I thought like about that. it as a kid. Like, but I mean, that, yeah, the as a kid, 80s, that's, that's how I thought about it. The character that she mm-hmm. she the mm-hmm. position she occupied right. exactly right. She I was the hoe mm-hmm. exactly, and I don't think of her as a hoe now. I'm just saying when I first watched this as a kid, I was like, wait a minute, the the the, the light skin one is the princess, and the dark mm-hmm. skin one is the hoe. Right. I mean, that's how I metabolized it then. Sure, and you're right mm-hmm. because again, it, we're still and we're still there. We're still in a when you're talking about the the African diaspora as a global community there's still a large amount whether people want to admit it or not there's still a very great deal of colorism that has been injected into our collective psyche so even if you look into the studies that have been produced by you know scholarly resources about the way that women in particular and even men with darker skin tones are perceived versus they're 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 being prone to criminality Mm -hmm. being prone to being promiscuous, mm-hmm. being prone to riskier behaviors, how they get punished even more or pigeonholed even more as being the bad apples or the ones that you always have to keep an eye on versus others that, for example, you know, I'm amongst people here that are of relatively fair complexion mm-hmm. that speak a certain way mm-hmm. and the benefit of the doubt because, oh, well, we're not really that kind of black. Right. Yeah, definitely. We're not too black. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is the time of, if you remember, other contemporaneous movies mm-hmm. of a similar ilk, Kid and Play in oh, yeah. House Party. Oh, gosh, yeah. Right? I forgot Who about is that. the central, who is the preferred character, right? The main character is the light-skinned one. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember being frustrated about by that as a kid because if you notice, the so both the younger sister and the dumb kind of like custom made ditzy bride to be back in uh, Zamunda they're both dark skinned right Mm -hmm. and the only exception is that the queen is dark skinned and I quite I appreciated her character a lot but Mm -hmm. she's also old (laughs) right like this is how I thought about it as a kid like it was really frustrating to watch that especially since even then I thought well the dark skinned ones are prettier but you know so this is how i felt right and it was kind of weird to to rewatch it as an adult and kind of revisit those feelings like yeah. oh gosh yeah like i remember being really annoyed by that um and now i don't i mean you kind of like the whole thing with the the song you kind of write it off as a sign of the times mm-hmm. um like you couldn't do that now but you kind of can <laughs> sure. they they still do and you know if mm-hmm. you even think about this may be overthinking it but if you even think about uh the father, right? Mm-hmm. The king, who's, you know, very light-skinned, but he projects such, uh, you know, masculinity with his mm-hmm. voice, with his presence, that he kind of still occupies the role quite well. But right. dark skin, dark black skin, has always been associated with masculinity, right. which is mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think that black, darker black women, you know, always get pushed away from that kind femininity. of femininity definitely. itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This is Which a place is where Black Panther definitely improved yeah. on the original model. <laughs> I do have to say. And Absolutely. you know, people like Venus Williams still have to deal with this stuff. Oh, yes. Yes. You know, yeah, yes. definitely. Michelle Obama. Yes. Yeah. Ape in heels. Yeah, exactly. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to shift gears. First, I want us to share our favorite scene and or quote 
mm. from the movie? Would anyone like to go first? Oh man, it it it's it, by far the royal penis is queen. <laughs> um, <laughs> because again, everyone everyone you everyone was walking around saying that. And yes. to 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 this day it still resonates in my head, me seeing which one. It, it, I couldn't it, leave it, it go. I couldn't. Yeah, I knew he was going to say that. It was, <laughs> it was. Gonna, it just still resonates in my head while I w- was seeing these little, you know, lily white kids walking around and joking with their friends and saying that, and that really kind of <laughs> stuck with me because you know here I'm like you know in my you know, mid teenage years after having watched it again and seeing these kids that are you know eleven twelve saying that. And it just, it still makes an impact on me to this day. Hmm. I still, the, the quote that I still use a lot, and I'm going to have to curse here. Um, my favorite is in the barbershop. Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> so when I disagree with friends or, you know, having a fun conversation, I still go, fuck you, fuck you, and fuck you. <laughs> That's my favorite. I like that scene too. Yeah, that is a great scene. I used to be a waiter, mm-hmm. and there was a a Poor server child. there, and he was a white guy, mm-hmm. a little older than I was, but he would quote this movie all day, oh my and gosh. we would quote, and we would pretty much quote it together. Mm-hmm. So when we were kind of getting ready for the the night rush or the the lunch rush, he would always be the preacher, and oh. everyone, I'm glad y'all are here today, <laughs> <laughs> and he would just he would just do that voice. So I love I love Arsenio Hall's scene, and I also love when Akeem mops into Lisa's room. Yeah. And he sells her. Uh, oh. When you think of garbage, think of me. Think of me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that is great. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, there are so many good lines in this movie. I can't think of one. Uh, like, the ones that are really kind of sly and kind of jump out at you later are the ones that really get me. Damn yeah. shame what they did to that dog. Right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a slow burn one. Yeah. <laughs> Just a... Uh, a quick mm-hmm. plug for our next episode. We'll be doing Luke Cage season two. There's a connection with that landlord mm. and Pops from yeah, Luke Cage yeah, season yeah. one. Oh, is that? Yeah, oh. that Pops. Oh, oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, and the I'm thing slacking. is, he's also in um, uh, Do the Right Thing. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm-hmm. uh, my theory is, because that dude does not age. He hasn't aged a day. Look at him now. Yeah. Look at him in but Luke Cage. He started Cage. out old. So I mean. He looks exactly the same in Luke Cage <laughs> as he does in this film. You was born old. He was like, born he was like, like Morgan Freeman. He was born at 57 and just kept going from there. <laughs> okay. Well, Mel has to get out of here. I do. I'm sorry. I got to take off. Thank you. Been a lovely time. Thanks, guys. Thank Bye. You. Bye. I'm sure. All right. Doc Hurt also had another great scene of the the uh, two twins rapping. My name is Peaches, and I'm the best. <laughs> I, I mean, that was great, but I also loved Arsenio Hall dressed as the woman. Yeah. I want to rip you apart. And your friend, and your friend too. too. Tear you apart, yeah. <laughs> that was great. So, we're going to switch gears and go into how we think this movie could be remade or rebooted. Now, I'll go around the room first. Do you think this movie can be rebooted? Ooh. No. Eh, you know, I, I, I can see how it could be, 
but I'm going to have to say that they're going to have to have Eddie Murphy on board as an executive producer because it's such an iconic movie that if you screw it up, it's just, you know, whoever's in that movie, if you, if you really mess that up, that might be it, the death knell for you. Um, because this yeah, movie you're not is, coming back from that. You ain't coming back from <laughs> that. You know what I mean? Um, but what could, could it be remade? Yes, it, it definitely could be. Should it be? Mm, that that remains to be seen. Well, okay. I mean, I think you could make a movie like this, you know, that speaks to some of the themes or the comedy mm-hmm. uh, like this movie. But if you tried to do the Hollywood thing, which is to reboot, remake things, this film is such part of the tapestry of the 80s, and it's such a specific function of Eddie Murphy's <clears throat> comedic style in his yeah. career that it would be kind of silly to just try to make this movie again. Just because, yeah, yeah. Just, just just to have. And again, you know, I have to agree with you that doing it for the sake of it's there to be redone mm-hmm. is is a fool's errand, I think. Uh, because, it, again, this movie was so well done the first time. It's just, if you touch it, you better be real. You really have to have something up your sleeve to, to really pull it off. If you want to do it, then you better think back to that, you know, end credit scene in Deadpool two, <laughs> Deadpool two, where Ryan Reynolds is looking at the Green Lantern script. Yeah. He's like, "Welcome to the big time." <laughs> just put yourself out of that misery. Yeah, yeah. Just don't do it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna spitball an idea, and I don't know if you guys will dig it or not. Okay. Probably won't. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> Again, this is spitball. I may just edit this out later anyway. Keep it in. Nah. If I'm asking myself, I'm not going to do that on the third episode. <laughs> so, as we all know, there's been advances in black representation in the media. Mm-hmm. TV shows, movies, exact, exactly. Yeah. But there haven't been as many advancements for other people of color yeah. like Asians, Muslims, mm-hmm. etc. So my idea was don't remake this movie with black people. Remake it with Muslim people and their mm. culture because mm. I honestly don't know much about it. And obviously coming to America is not the best example of African culture sure. either. Right. But like Black Panther <clears throat> is obviously not, I mean, Wakanda is not a representation of African culture either. I mean, there are elements that, you know, are in that film that speaks to real things. But obviously, vibranium ain't real. Sure. What do you mean? It is real. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I'm saying to have a prince, because obviously in some Muslim countries, I don't know how many. Sure. But but there are still these royal families. And to have a young prince... Taking your idea. Go from there to America to find a bride could be interesting. It would also, it would help put Muslims in a different light because Eddie Murphy in the film was very intelligent. He was quoting Nietzsche. Yeah. So he's very smart. And he's also very charismatic and charming, especially when he was talking to Lisa on the swing and after she had just gotten, after she got angry at the Soglo prince for uh, trying (coughs) to marry her. To see that, with a Muslim cast, mm. Muslim man, yeah. I think would be interesting. Yeah, See, I think it, it fits perfectly because if you were if you were gonna say like you know I've got some feed 
you know, news that was like, they're rebooting, remaking Coming to America. I'd be like, oh, man, this is going to suck. Then they were like, no, actually, it's like the story is it's a Saudi Arabian prince who's Mm -hmm. been betrothed and he doesn't like the courses life is going. And he decides to sow his oats in Queens, New York. Mm -hmm. Right. And then he goes and he finds himself. He finds his bride. He finds a meaning in life and da 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 da. And it's very funny. Um, but you know you'd have to have a comedian who can if you want to make it a comedy. Yeah, you could. You have to find a comedian who can keep that. Yeah. Well, the thing so. is, Eddie Murphy played the movie pretty straight, so the comedy wouldn't necessarily come from him. I mean, unless you're trying to get him to this actor to play the barbers again or the preacher, that's one thing. But if you right. could do it just without that, you know, having. A Muslim cast that would some of those characters wouldn't be needed, maybe. Right. I mean, if this Muslim's gonna go and get a black woman or get a white woman, or maybe he, he, you know, we don't know what he would be getting, but I think you know, what was the okay Cupid study of what's the most desirable ethnicity. Uh, rate, ethnicity, yeah. gender, exact, you know, and Muslim men are one of the lowest and not the lowest on yeah. the list, yeah. and so to flip that and portray them as. Charming, smart, handsome, etc., would do mm-hmm. a great service to those people. I think it'd be interesting. Now, see, the thing is, like you talk about other groups, I think Asian Americans have gotten theirs already. It's called Harold and Kumar, and you know, <laughs> the first movie, the first one, the second one well, it was a little mixed, but the first one was a. I mean, the the existence of the film itself was breaking the mold, and uh, it worked as a comedy. It worked as a drama. They had mm-hmm. a character arc. I mean, it was Asian American cinema, in a way that um, Better Luck Tomorrow, which they kind of took a jab at in the film, yeah. um, didn't work because it felt like somebody's, you know, film school thesis. It sure. didn't work as a film. Okay. Yeah. So. You know, I, think- uh, I, I, it hits especially close, especially because you know, obviously, I, I come from a Muslim upbringing. I am Muslim, um, and it, it, it has a lot of. There's a lot of legroom that you can get out of that. And I say that because, you know, Islam and the, the Muslim community worldwide is not a monolith. Sure. Um, and that was, again, the mold that had to be broken through, goodness, you know, decades and decades and decades of cinema with, you know, people of color, in particular black, uh, the, the black diaspora, right? Um, you know, there are so many different takes and so many different cultural avenues that you have to talk about and cultural influences when you talk about Islam because Islam yes it's a religion but then again you're talking about a religion that covers the entire globe you know you're talking about people that have certain cultural mores in you know Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan versus the social mores in Indonesia Malaysia in uh, the 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 Middle East you know so on and so forth and the majority of Muslims don't even live in the Middle East right um, you can go a lot of ways because there are Muslims from every shade of the rainbow, from every walk of life. And I really do think that it, there, there should be something that is done as far as trying to take that, that idea and pressing it forward. Because again, you know, there's, there is the real politic right now where, where someone in the West has to have an enemy and the all, the old go-to is always Islam. Um, and that's just because it's convenient and right. because it's easy to tell people to fear what they don't understand. And most Americans to this day, 
even though there are the fastest growing religion in the United States is Islam. People are still extremely ignorant to it. And again, it's because of the real politic of right now. And that has been American foreign policy for the past 40, 45 years. So I think that we could see that. I think that there, there would be something very interesting. And you, didn't even, you don't even have to go the royal route. You can even go the route of someone that's just well-to-do that's coming from somewhere in the Muslim world. And it doesn't have to be the Middle East. And, you know, make it something unexpected, like it, Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan, which is, no. again, a secular uh, majority Muslim country. You can talk about someone that's coming also from Central Asia. That's, and that's not a Borat, right? Um, you know, you've got so many different avenues that you can do where it's not, you know, your, your it's stereotypical, um, you know, fair-skinned Muslim that comes from the Middle East, right? I'll ask you because you would know more than, sure. than me. We saw in Coming to America how the African-Americans interacted with Akeem <laughs> and his friend, right. was particularly Akeem. Right. Yeah. Well, do you think someone of someone of royalty mm -hmm. from the Middle East or et cetera yeah. going to America, do you think that dynamic with Muslim Americans, do you think it would be similar, different? You know, that's a very good question. Um, if I had to, if I really had to, to, to put my finger on the pulse of what uh, Islam in the United States is like right now, there is a growing, and, and not even growing, there is, has always been a voice and there has always been that loud, isolated voice that, hey, we're not a monolith. Sure. Um, when, when it comes to the, the, the Muslim American community at large. And it hasn't been till recently, and really social media has a lot to do with that, where the spotlight has been shined on everything from you know Muslims that are you know living alternative lifestyles as goths to the LGBTQIA community that are devout Muslims and shining the light on that and saying you know this is who I am but my faith is still very central to who I am as well and that does not discount me from being a person that deserves the same humanity or being you know seen as uh, a person deserving respect as well in this community I on that note would it be too far for the Muslim prince he's supposed to get married but wants to go to America to find a husband? Ooh. <laughs> there That's you much. Know. That, that, you know, flip it. I'll, I'll say be. this because, again, you know, I'm a very, for, for just for the record, I am extremely, I, I'm, I'm very, very secularized, so to speak, as, as far as my thinking goes, even though I consider myself a very devout Muslim. Um, you know, to be honest with you, a big part of me wants to say, fuck it, yeah, for sure. The thing that I don't want is for it to be pandering. I don't yeah, want it to be forced. That's fair. Um, and that's something that, that I think, is again, it's a very, very narrow lane that you have to walk. Well, see, I think that's where the shark will get jumped. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Because you're gonna be. It's gonna be such a big point, and you know, it's it's a hard thing to navigate. It's always it's already it hard is. enough to it have Muslim like, there, and then you're gonna. It's like making Green Lantern gay, <laughs> which <laughs> I think is fine, whatever. But you know, DC is so sucking now that they just it feels like they're grasping at straws. We'll yeah. do anything to be relevant. Yeah. And I didn't feel like that was organic or you know part of where that character was going. I'll switch it up on you. 
you don't even necessarily have to do it with a Muslim, and it could be, it could be someone that is Muslim, but I would like to see somebody that's an undocumented, an undocumented immigrant that actually comes to America and is faced with, you know, the trials and tribulations of trying to make it, and instead, and it doesn't have to be a rags to riches type story, it's a story where you do intersperse the, the comedy of it, but the 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 real politic of the day, I think that that's something that you could get some legroom out of. And again, not to be contrived, but I think that it would be something interesting if it was done right. Well, that's I, always the question. I think that's interesting, but I think to Doc Hurd's point, that would be a totally different title of a movie as opposed to coming to America. Yeah, you know, coming to America is about this guy humbling himself to get what he wants, as yeah. opposed to a guy starting off just. I got nothing. Mm-hmm. That story sounds awesome. Sure. Comedy or not. But just you've got, got how a to point, make it. though. Like the point, the, 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 the central premise of coming to America was, like you said, someone that's coming from everything being at his f- fingertips to going to working at McDowell's to, to try to, to slip in. Did you in. say McDonald's or McDowell's? McDowell's, McDowell's. yeah. McDowell's. <laughs> uh, to, to come in and fit into this mold that he thinks is what it is to be an, an American person, but not just a, an American, but a, a black American at that. Yes. You know, and you do see those, those interactions to this day. There's still that question where you even see that, that, you know, the right wing and, and the, the, the racist fascist fringe, well, not even fringe, but what the the, Demo- the the Republican Party has been hijacked to be now. I think it'd be even interesting to see how liberals react to a Muslim person in their workplace, right? He doesn't yeah. have to work at McDonald's, but you know, somewhere else. You know what this our, this country, the culture needs is a normalization of Muslims. Just somebody. Yeah. And this is the opportunity that Marvel is missing. You know, Miss Marvel, Kamala mm-hmm. Khan, just... just Bust out with that Marvel. I mean, they are talking about it. Yeah. I mean, no, the one that's going like, to come and save all the Avengers and whatever. Right. Movie. If they busted out with that Marvel at this point, and she, that was Kamala Khan, no, not not going to work? Well, because Miss Marvel has different powers than Captain Marvel. Can, yeah, so Captain there's Marvel. no way that she by herself could beat up Thanos. Uh, so, so She's not powerful enough. No, I mean, she's... <laughs> you ain't got the Her juice. powers are different. <laughs> <laughs> Can I make one last point? Absolutely. I just want to point out because you activated some neurons when you talked about like the African American point of view on Africans and Africanity in the film, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean I never thought about it until quite this point, which is there are actually two princes in the film, right? Right. There's a Soul Glow prince, and it was referenced. You know, he wouldn't mean nothing if it wasn't for his daddy, yeah. right? And uh, you know, there's Prince Akeem, and it was a battle of the two princes, and which kinds of you know, what kind of royalty she wants to marry. Mm. That's the choice. Mm. And uh, it's an interesting thing to see the two princes kind of, you know, bzz, 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 go at it at the basketball game when he <laughs> right. was like, what kind of game do you play, Akeem? Chase the monkey? Right. Right. And uh, you're kind of like, okay, that guy's kind of a dick. What do you say? Like, um, <laughs> I'm sure your clothes are new to you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. right. Daryl was, was bad. Oh, forgot to mention him. Do you all remember him from a recent... Nerd film? No, I've seen him pop up somewhere. Yeah. I was like, Daryl! He was the father 
of the black farmer family in Logan. Right. Right. And I was yeah. kind of like, where there's that's where that's he's right. been. That's right. He was he was uh I can't remember his name, but he was his his big his really breakout role was uh in ER on NBC. Okay. Yeah. Right. And he was he had a great run on that show. He was pivotal to the the entire um the a, a few seasons uh central uh story arc. I can never remember his name, but he he really had a Yeah. A, a but good you remember run. his face. I just have I just have before you cut us off. I just have to put a shout out to myself. You know, the first podcast in Seoul in 2005, <laughs> which was uh, called Soul Glow for a reason. And I <laughs> nice. took the opening of the uh, thing because it's not copyrighted. It didn't get put into. It's not credited in the in the uh, end credit, so it's mm-hmm. not technically a song. No, it's yeah. great being here. And, and again, you know this. Uh, this is one of those one of those films that stands the test of time, um, and really kind of still speaks through the ages. And, and a lot of the the themes that we saw that resonated then and that were very comedic still resonate to this day. And and I think it's something that that people really should go back and revisit. You know, with it being uh, coming up on you know with it now being its its thirtieth anniversary now. Um, you know, this is something that still resonates to this day with me and, and you know a lot of my other friends. So. Uh, you know, it was a pleasure getting to to sit here and expound on the different yeah. thematics uh, and the different uh, social issues that it, it really kind of entailed. And especially now that black comedy has evolved into something that's not just for black people, yeah. but, you know, black comedy as a mode of engagement with humor. Yeah. Um, even blackness itself has evolved quite a bit since the 80s. Yeah, for as sure. As has, you know, notions of sexual propriety, you know. You have not on high kind of thing. <laughs> it's an interesting kind of historical nugget to watch. Eric LaSalle is the actress. Eric LaSalle. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. I feel better about I feel better now. Also to be noted that he was also light skinned in this film. Which yeah. is interesting. Yeah. He was the prince, you know, to be. Right. He was the favorite one. Okay. This concludes the end of episode three. I really enjoyed this discussion with you all. I want to thank Mel. And I want to thank Doc Hurt and my man Sky. As always, man. If you want to find Blurred Up, we are on Facebook now. Pretty much facebook.com slash Blurred Up, B-L-E-R-D-U-P. Also on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. Or if you want to email us at Yo Blurred Up, Y-O-B-L-E-R-D-U-P. You're so 80s. Thank you. (laughs) Doc, where can they find you? Um, I'm all over Instagram at, how do you say this? At ampersand, uh, K U R A E J I. And, uh, yeah, that's probably the best place to start. Cool. And you can Google me and look at some of my pictures from soul fashion week and stuff like that. Yeah. You can find me on the interwebs, uh, the social medias, if you like. Uh, come check me out. I am on the Facebooks, uh, and it's just uh, Sky Muhammad, S-K-Y-M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. Or if you want to check me out on Twitter, uh, my social ramblings and my constant assault on the vitriol flow coming out of uh, today's social real politic, check me out. I am at HR Paper Stacks on Twitter, and uh, give me a follow, and we'll chat. That Stacks, is that with the X or a C-K-S? Oh, S-T-A-C-K-S. H- underscore r underscore paper stacks thank you all very much let your soul glow
And as always, be you. Just let it shine through. Just let your soul.